we have before us the opportunity to forge for ourselves and for future generations a new world order. It appears as though something has happened in the motorcade route. The Oswald has been shot. Paddock fired out of two adjoining rooms using a device similar to a hammer to smash the windows. to another Digging Chris Graves. I'd like to uh, introduce uh, a very special guest, uh, Mark Palmer Steves Jr. Um, or is it just Mark Steves? Um, I'm not sure. You can call me by my full name. That's fine. I don't mean to cut you off with my, my little laugh there. What's up, Chris? Thanks for having me, brother. That intro was like uh, who's who and what's what of everything that's gone wrong in the past hundred years. Jeez, I'm a little in shock. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome to the show. And um, you're from the, uh, and I, I love this title too. Uh, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast. I love that. <laughs> um, where did you uh, basically come up with the concept <laughs> for uh, that podcast? Well, it's something that I'm all too familiar with. You can say uh, you've joined me on my show thanks for for joining me on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and i think my family just thinks i'm crazy because of all of these topics we we get into uh also probably the fact that i don't seem to have much regard for society and norms customs i'm just sort of a a dirty hippie who likes his books and hiking and smoking weed and driving around and it's kind of I'm, I'm almost like stubborn in that way i'm kind of hard to get out of my routine uh and and i'm one hell of an arguer so if my family ever uh needed a reason to think i was crazy all they have to do is bring up something like uh this medical malpractice that we're all uh facing right now that's how i've been terming it everybody's kind of found fun ways to avoid censorship i call it the global medical malpractice and um and anytime anything in regards to health comes up i always speak my mind and that's made my family think i'm crazy just because they have too much faith in doctors and all these other liars yeah a lot of guessing in a white coat like George Car <laughs> carlin used to say you know, and uh, yeah, no, I think that's smart too. The way you phrased it, because I've been shadow banned recently on uh, on Twitter, which is funny. It's ironic because that's what we're live streaming to right now. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I just noticed that. I think just doing an an episode on Operation Northwoods actually brought some of that attention, you know, with the bots or whatever. I'm not saying someone in a room. I don't know that, <laughs> but they have key phrases. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. 
operation is is at the top of the keyword list. Anytime you see operation online, there's a good chance it's uh, conspiracy theorists talking about uh, yeah. number like, of bots. The, the bots and the algorithms and all that. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of the Echelon technology from like the 90s. Like you said certain keywords into the phone. Like they would, it would like uh, zero in in like a database. It was like before. I guess at the beginning of the internet, and I'm probably screwing it totally up, but uh, it, oh. it was a thing called Echelon that was basically before before all the internet, you know, was able to kind of govern itself in a way. Mm. Mm. But, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, well, if you don't mind, I'd like to actually um, to ask you, uh, you have a nickname, uh, Mystic Mark, right? Mm. What brought yeah. you to what brought your like what was your interest in, in that world? Because uh, that's something I've also tried to study too. Not tried, I've studied over the years. And what's yeah. appealing, or or uh, what, yeah, was there something about it that just um, just the shadowiness, like for lack of a better term, like what, what got piqued your interest in that? Well, you know, it's funny, I never thought of myself as a mystic, uh, it was until you know, relatively recently that I realized that everything that I'd been interested in ever since I was a kid was just pretty mystical. I mean, I've always loved nature. I've always loved being outside. And um, for whatever reason, that forged this intuition, this empathy, this sympathy inside of me. Um, and, you know, I've been told it's it's just called being a true human being. And I don't mean to say that and sound like, uh, you know, I'm on some kind of high horse or anything because I'm not. Um, but I do think that humanity has taken a sort of step away from our former role as uh, human guardians of nature, sort of stewards, uh, as the Bible describes it, or even as primitive cultures behave you know they don't even need a bible to, to to tell them how to live in harmony with nature they just intuitively do it and uh for some reason our society is mechanicalizing everything it's mechanizing everything and and not that i'm some kind of luddite obviously we're using technology to conduct this conversation but i've always had uh, an interest in things that other people haven't I've been like a black sheep and uh, and when you're alienated, when you're isolated, you know, sometimes you'll you'll go and you'll research and figure out why that is, you know, and why certain people are black sheep, why certain people get along and fit in. And all of that curiosity led me into realms of philosophy, psychology and, of course, mysticism, because in a way, religion, spirituality, and mysticism uh, gave way to the scientific revolution, so to speak. So subjects like psychology, subjects like, um, you know, sociology, they're just sort of materialized versions of philosophical sort of ideas. Hold on a second. You need the keys? They're right over there. Was that was that a cat or? <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Anyway, folks, yeah, no, uh, this man's podcast is is great. It goes into all different areas and. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> yeah, no. So um, 
so basically what I don't want to say, I don't want to make it sound like I'm a professor or something, but what it basically, what have you been able to take away from, um, from like researching uh, mysticism and things? Because I said, I, I kind of dabbled in the research, but probably mm. not as in depth as, as you have. Um, mm. I'm very curious about, about that subject. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. I kind of, I had a, I definitely wanted to, brought in my answer before i just got oh i'm sorry yeah no 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 no. yeah i'm gonna answer your question but i'm also gonna continue because i love this where we're starting this conversation from so no need for apologies um well mysticism is experienced right so i don't know how jesus christ she's got to slam the fucking door anyway (laughs) i i deal with that too (laughs) anyways so mysticism's experienced you know and um i think she's going to look for a little uh, experience of mysticism herself uh but you know when it comes to I, I don't want to sound pretentious or anything, you know, because whenever oh, yeah, you're into yeah. spirituality or yeah. mysticism, there's like a subjectivity that's wrapped into the topic that some people fail to recognize, it seems. And that can come off as very like pedantic and like, I know this because i you're, you're a satanist or you're a devil worshiper that type of type of, well, um, that type of thing but also yeah. you know maybe the inverse of like somebody who becomes a cult leader because they think they've seen the light that no one else has and they're the chosen right. one right yeah there's yeah. a level of mystical mysticism that can pull you into that pitfall um so i don't mean to sound like that at all but it was just like uh it was just like smoking weed that kind of broadened my horizons because i was already really interested in all this stuff but i had some programming some conditioning from my family and from my school that i wasn't quite aware of and cannabis really kind of show shown a light on that in my mind at the very least and showed me where maybe logically I wasn't sort of seeing the whole picture and, you know, things like the war in Iraq, which were going on around that same time, the war in Afghanistan, uh, you know, they factored into that empathy and that sympathy that I described before, because I realized that on a world level, we as human beings have some sort of disease, some sort of virus, some sort of mental pathogen. And I guess that's where mysticism kind of came into my world because I began to ask questions like, well, what is the right relationship between human beings and each other? What are the right relationships between human beings and the earth? What are the right relationships between human beings and nuclear weapons even you know like should we even have those do we even have those i mean i've talked to some people on my show who think that they're not even real so i've heard that too yeah yeah yeah. well mysticism is is a tricky thing i can't say i'm like a, a researcher in mysticism although i do appreciate you asking me uh in that way because it, it it's something i like to talk about for sure although i'm not like a you know, uh, a mystic in the sense that I haven't gone through like a schooling system or any one spiritual uh, school. Uh, really, the mysticism that 
qualifies me to call myself Mystic Mark is is really just uh, from my own martial arts experience and my life experience. Now, when I say martial arts, you're probably like, okay, so that's where the mystic thing comes from, kind of in a way, because when I started learning martial arts, my biggest inspiration was Bruce Lee, and he wrote uh, a really fantastic book called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, which was his own style he put together. And the first 15 to 20 pages of The Tao of Jeet Kune Do were just about that. They were about Taoism. And learning and reading about that at a young age changed my mind, changed my heart, changed my philosophy, uh, and helped me find the path that I'm on now. Um, and that path had tests associated with it. Tests of character, tests of integrity, tests of honesty. And I think every martial artist who endeavors to learn martial arts and become a better person, not just learn martial arts to be competitive and be tough, but when you pursue martial arts as a uh, autodidactic pursuit, you know, to, to change or to grow as a human individual, um, you're sort of like asking the universe to speed up your spiritual <laughs> growth a little bit. And that could be, that could be bad and good. You know, it could be good in the sense that you, maybe f get over some hurdles faster than others you know i've been told for my young age i'm pretty wise i wouldn't agree with that because i don't have the perspective to know <laughs> but uh but i i definitely think that i kind of fast track myself with my martial arts experiences and maybe gave myself a sort of coming of age sooner than my peers you know because that the age of 16, I had already gotten into four or five fights and realized I don't like street fighting. <laughs> it's something some young men don't realize until they've, you know, gone to jail and, and you know, yeah, yeah too late. Right. So I had it really early, like some of the, some really tough lessons. And uh, and that's what pushed me into mysticism, because, you know, your body can only do so much. And you realize that when you're a martial artist, your, your mind and your soul are really the driving force. So when I realized that it was the invisible part of myself that was most important, well then the invisible aspects of our reality must be what's most important. So there's mysticism in a, in a way, you know, at least my take on it. Um, and I only called myself mystic Mark because uh, when I, when I was younger, I started making these necklaces out of wire and crystal and oh, wow. it was sort of like a side gig for a while, just a way of kind of getting a few bucks here and there and making some new friends who had cool. similar interests. And uh, when I would go from store to store selling my crystals, I would call myself Mystic Mark. And I didn't have a need for that name outside of that context until I started podcasting. And that's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to call myself mystic Mark because I feel a lot more comfortable going by mystic Mark talking about <laughs> some of these topics. Yeah. Although it's too late, my full name is out there. That's fine. I'm not trying to hide anything. Uh, <laughs> I just think, I just think it's, it's, be it's better to go by a gnome deplore and keep yeah. things a little murky for those who may want to, uh, take decisive action against me. <laughs> yeah, let's not make it easy for the bastards. 
that kind exactly. of thing. <laughs> right, right. Second guess if they're look they're tracking the right guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Make them have to open up an old fashioned, you know, phone book or something. Mm. Well, I'm old <laughs> enough to have my name uh Me too. A phone book so yeah <laughs> i was yeah i was hatched in the 1980s so yeah me too mm. <laughs> well let me ask you this um i just thought of this when you were talking about the deprogramming because i feel like everyone kind of has a, a certain a, a, a version of that um whether it's you know just going to regular school or even private school whatever do you think with psilocybin and um marijuana that would be an answer to deprogramming some of these, you know, victims that we hear about from things like MK Ultra and mm. those type of things, like real, like real mm. mind, mind control type stuff. Do you, you think that those kind of things would be effective or is it the fact that intense trauma just like changed them in a way that that wouldn't really have an effect? Maybe because sometimes we hear that the trauma can be so intense when they're trying to create like one of these killers or whatever, where mm -hmm. they split the personality just with like intense pain or trauma or even like child molestation, things like that, like to bring upon this other personality. Do you think things like psilocybin and like marijuana can help at all? Well, it probably can help in some way, but to kind of rid the person of that or are they too far gone do you think I, and i don't even know i just thought of that just now when you were talking about the yeah. thing well although i'm not an expert in uh victims of that capacity i'm also right. not uh <laughs> gonna full disclosure yeah no i yeah i'm not saying that you are that yeah i'm just no, like, no, no. i i just i'll make a disclaimer just for my own sake but yeah it's it's uh not my expertise but i don't mind speculating i think uh I think actually the proliferance of these materials in our society uh, has led to possibly a larger possibility of that happening to someone. Now, that being said, I don't think that cannabis and mushrooms alone are responsible for someone uh, fragmenting or fractionalizing their consciousness. I think in the past, in an ancient, maybe in a tribal context, these plants were used to do that, to give someone the, the perspective of you are not just your body. You are a soul being a part of this tribe. Here is your spiritual self. Now, let's examine that experience under that those circumstances within the setting of a tribe in the right context that's, you know, designed for personal growth, you know, that individual comes through that experience and thrives. Whereas in another context, those same substances can be used to do this very same thing to somebody and leave them forever broken because it's about the ceremony. It's not about the substance. So, you know, just as you described it for these well, victims, I also hope you don't think I was uh, demonizing marijuana. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I mean, as a way of bringing yeah. it back from being programmed. No, I know. I'm going to get to oh, that. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I want to be real. I want to yeah. look at this from 100, you know, a bird's eye view and not leave any because yeah. I'm biased. I'm a, People already expect me to say, like, weed's great and mushrooms are great. So I'll get to that. But okay, yeah, yeah. My, my real honest thought on this is that 
we as a society have been flooded with substances and the irresponsible use of these substances has led to uh, a lot of problems. I'm not going to blame the substances, but because they're more of a vehicle for this sort of um, depravity. But anyways, yeah, these things can be used to really hurt people. So by the same turn of the coin or the same blade of the sword, it could be used to help people too. And I think that that's actually what they're truly designed for. I just, I don't want to make any claims that what happened to me could happen to someone else because I truly believe that it was circumstantial in the sense that, you know, I was already primed and ready for that experience, whereas somebody else might not be. Uh, That also being said, I think cannabis and mushrooms, you know, they do, they're, they're on the spectrum of substances, of, of drugs, of, of natural plant medicines that are definitely more benevolent and geared towards your, healing. you know, healing. Exactly. So although they can be used in a way that, you know, could be detrimental to someone, I think ultimately the reason it's detrimental isn't due to the plants themselves it's due to the nature of our society and due to the nature of the psychological position that the average person is in for me having the confidence that i did at a young age having the the physical understanding of i am more than my body from martial arts training those drugs didn't affect me in a way that allowed fear to be a part of those experiences now, if somebody didn't go through that same training that I had and then done those substances, they may have a more of a fearful experience, which could be detrimental. Now, I've even argued that, you know, just now that maybe that's part of the MK Ultra thing is that they use these drugs to induce psychological states of fear that wouldn't be possible in sober conditions. Now, the same is true on the flip side, potentially, that someone who's gone through an incredible amount of trauma can use a substance like cannabis or uh, mushrooms to reveal the root of why that happened and to maybe even heal. I'm not you know, an expert on how those plants would heal, but from my own experience, you know, smoking cannabis as much as I have I have friends who've smoked probably more than me or even less than me who have nowhere near the amount of knowledge that I have. And I'm not saying that to sound mightier than them or something. I'm just saying that cannabis clearly didn't do the same thing for them that it did for me. I was a person who was already reading. I was already interested in this kind of stuff and cannabis kind of accelerated it, you know, and I, I totally 100% love cannabis for that now if i gave cannabis to somebody else who didn't have that love of reading didn't have that curiosity it could ruin their life i mean that's just a fact right because it's it's a different it does it hits people in different ways i hope that one day we have clinics where people you know are able to use these plant medicines in the right context to rebuild their consciousness for me personally the only thing that it really did um that I wasn't expecting, I guess, was that, you know, it kind of wiped the slate clean, right? And what I mean by that is I had a lot of like conditioning from 
society to believe that the world was solid, that I was going to die and be gone forever. You know, that hell or heaven would be my fate at the end of that journey, uh, you know, and, and all of these other things that I don't necessarily know are true or not, but they were a lot realer to me back then. And now I, I realize I actually have a little bit of my own uh, sovereignty in those decisions. Like, I don't have to believe in hell if I don't want to. Uh, I choose to believe that the earth could be a hell if we make it that way. <laughs> it's kind of that's kind of my take, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so I hope that cannabis and mushrooms can be used to heal people. I just would never be like uh oh, 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 for any type of unanimous prescription, you know? Cuz I, I really think that each of these cuz like this plant that I'm smoking right now is a completely different plant than I smoked yesterday. It's right. cannabis and it's tobacco, but like this plant grew in a different environment, potentially from right. a different human. So there's so many factors that even go into just making the plant cannabis what it is that, you know, it's like, it's like just a, like, a, like a sativa or an indica. One's going to have, you know, a soothing, relaxing uh, feeling and the other one will totally make you feel like you're tripping and that's happened to me before where i feel like my throat's closing if you have anxiety not even just that i mean think about it without you know cannabis you could could, you could say like a an apple grown in maine as opposed to an apple grown in florida they're both apples one of them's gonna have a different flavor one of them's gonna have a different you know nutritional context than the other one maybe one will be better than the other right so that's kind of where i stand with cannabis it's not so much that like i'll only smoke indica or only smoke sativa uh it's just like know the plant know where it comes from and uh maybe even grow it yourself if you can because i think that's really how we heal because when the plant is growing and it's alive and it can connect to your energy and you can communicate with it and start a relationship with that plant in that way, now it may be serving your needs. Now it might be tuning into what you really need. And then maybe that plant will be like, boom, exactly what you need. That didn't happen to me. I didn't grow the first bud I smoked. But uh, I think that's a part of it. That's why I wouldn't like give this like wholesale prescription of cannabis because it's such a case by case and plant by plant thing you know right and that's fascinating because i was reading about how that it has been proven i guess i hope that i'm i'm not speaking um i hope i'm i'm saying this right but plants can actually communicate with each other oh yeah I i never knew that you know for I never knew that. And from what you're telling me about having, you know, having your own relationship with your own plant that you're, you're growing, it's kind of like, um, and maybe I'm sounding really stupid right now, but like, it's kind of like with your, you have a pet, there's like a, a psychic link sometimes when you hear about a person and their, their animals, their pets. Yeah. Or whatever. Is that possible? Like with the plant, if the plants can like, communicate with each other it's demonstrated there's 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 uh you know under 
scientific circumstances in a laboratory it's been proven not that that is the only way to find proof or truth but you know for a lot of people that's that helps to hear something like that because we've been conditioned into this like uh paradigm that is hard to get out of but no absolutely i'll tell you exactly what happened somebody was experimenting with plants they all had lie detector tests plugged in so for folks who don't know a lie detector test isn't only like measuring the truth of words it's actually measuring like the energy of a person so if you're nervous it'll pick up on that and maybe that means you're lying that's why lie detector tests aren't like perfect but what they do tell you uh perfectly is an energy signature of of that being so you can kind of read the energy signature and deduce certain things from it now when the guy conducting this experiment had the thought of setting fire to one of the plants he noticed an immediate shock like response from the plant almost like the plant was frightened at the fact that it was about to be set on fire and the other plants in the room soon caught on to this and started vibrating at a similar frequency of stress or distress so the thought is that not only did the plant understand that the guy had an intention of doing something before he did it thus reading his mind but then it was able to send that message out to the other plants and say hey this guy just thought about setting me on fire (laughs) so what does that tell us about plants i mean they could read our minds basically Oh my God! <laughs> How long ago was was this? Uh, I think nineties. It's um okay. All I can right. look up right now the name of the guy who who did this experiment. Hold on. Wow. Because I, I yeah, I just just knowing that they can communicate with them each other, let mm-hmm. alone you know knowing a human being's intentions and that's it. <laughs> uh, Cleve Baxter was the name of the uh, the man, and he was a veteran CIA polygraph expert. Um, he connected a polygraph machine to the human body uh, that was ex- exposing their moods, and he found that uh, when he connected it to plants, he found the same kind of emotional responses from plants. So. Very interesting. Yeah, I didn't know the guy's name off the top of my head. Cleve Baxter. That's a. I didn't know he was in the CIA either. Now it kind of makes me question the study a little bit. Well, no, that's right. <laughs> if anyone was, if anyone was going to, uh, you know, torture plants, I figure it would be the CIA. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but actually, that's actually a good uh, transitioning thing. Um, yeah. Segue. Yeah. Your segue, yeah, tra- yeah. When, what, at what point in your life, um, did you get interested in not like not just like mysticism, but like uh, conspiracy theories or mm. or even urban legends or you know esoteric things? Mm, yeah. So, as we were just talking about the plant thing, I kind of thought, and I, I will answer your question, but I just want to add to yeah, your. Yeah. My answer about mysticism, you know, mysticism is inherent to everything in us from a certain perspective, you know, so uh, it's really it's just something that kind of 
it's it's not even it's effortless in a way. It's like once you sort of start to see reality working the way it does, uh, you can't help but be mystical. I think if you weren't, you'd be kind of ignoring <laughs> either that or you you just haven't seen it yet. But I think everybody who experiences mysticism once kind of um it it becomes something that's a part of there. Now I'm now I'm like waxing poetic. I need to show no, up. This is, no, this is fantastic. Are you kidding me? Thank no, you. this is great. No, no. Um well, I'll say though, because the conspiracy question fits into this. So you're absolutely right. Like when you kind of hinted at like, oh well, you know, conspiracy, you know, or 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 alternative or urban legends, because it is this blurry line. Uh, it's this category of like accepted truth versus rumor. But then you start to really learn about the rumors and you find out that it's actually like <laughs> what we're told accepted truth is, is rumors and, and the accepted the truth. The other one's closer to the truth. truth. And yeah, yeah. Than yeah. The accepted, yeah. So the I truth. just always had like a stubborn quality to like, you know, question things. And I think a lot of people question things. Maybe they don't necessarily need to be stubborn, but I was stubborn about a lot of things when I was younger. And that led me to find some things out. And, you know, being born in 1994, I was in second grade when 9-11 happened. So, you know, I witnessed it right there on the television in school that Tuesday morning and we got sent home and uh you know i, I remember senior in high school yeah and okay. i was like oh wow i'm gonna be drafted now that's <laughs> how selfish i was i was like i'm gonna be drafted now i'm like i'm three weeks away from turning 18 and that i was just being total douchebag selfish guy well know? i don't blame you for for i mean you sound a little bit sardonic but yeah i i'm sure that would have been a little bit scary to to think oh god i might have to go off to war I will I don't blame you. I would probably feel the same way if I was old enough. And I actually, you know, because I was that age, I think I was programmed into wanting to join the military because for a few years after that, I became really fascinated with the military and war and and all this stuff. I remember reading Art The Art of War by Sun Tzu and mm -hmm. I have a book over here that I got from Barnes and Noble called like uh the handbook of espionage like something that a kid should not have it tells you how to like <laughs> climb over like fences and break into houses it's a crazy book for a kid it, to buy it would be like the, a kid having the cia's uh, assassination manual which is a real, <laughs> a real thing <laughs> it's it's everything in that without the the killing part i'll almost i'll grab it before our conversation's over and show it to you but uh yeah. but yeah it's 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 just something that had a profound effect on me uh, seeing 9-11. And there was a few other events after 9-11 that, you know, I don't want to mention since we're on Twitter, but I'm in Connecticut, so people can make a guess as to what I might be hinting at. I so there were other pretty big tragedies that took place not too far from me. I mean, 9-11, I'm in Connecticut. I'm on the you know, railroad too. I live near the railroad. So we're, we're kind of like one of these bedroom communities for New York city. A lot of people that live in Milford or where I live. The tri-state uh, area, right? New Jersey, right. New York. And all connected yeah. to the city. I mean, even though we're not a part of New York state, so it affected this whole area pretty deeply. And, uh, you know, someone who went to my elementary school died that day 
so we had like a memorial that was built in front of our elementary school to 9-11. So this was all like stuff that was just a part of my reality. And as I got older, I started to realize the propaganda and like, oh, obviously this Osama bin Laden guy didn't do that. And like, you know, I, I remember having like a poster of him in my bedroom with like a target over his head. That they some, did that for Saddam during the Gulf War. Yeah. Like early like 90s. They do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Grandpa got it like Army Navy store and gave it yeah. to me like this stupid like target with with Osama bin Laden's face on. I remember looking at that and thinking like, I don't even know this guy. Like all I know, yeah. all I know about this guy is that what the media has told me, like for all I know, he could be like a superhero and that's not at all what I'm, you know, truly no, believing in. But at that young age, you know, I started to really flip things around and question right. like who the bad guy was. And, uh, and then, you know, Occupy Wall Street and Bernie and everybody's like, oh yeah, we're going to change the government or, you know, we're going to make a big, great change. And I'm just thinking like, Obama said all that shit. He didn't yep. do any of those changes. I, I felt super duped after Obama. I worked but on his campaign and I was very let down. And after that, I'm like, this is all bullshit. They're both <laughs> two signs of the two sides of the same corroded coin. Yeah. I don't want any part of it. And right. that was the first uh, hope and change. You're right. Right. And, and you're in mass. So I, I totally get like, you know, our whole New England, like, yeah. The political landscape has been so weird here because you have the cities that are like super, you know, affluent and that gives them the privilege to be whatever political identity they want because they can just, you know, yeah. live off their parents trust fund and read freaking whatever they want for 10 years and then go get activated i mean the some of these kids that live in these cities do you you see them running around and you're like do you ever plan on like surviving like are you just gonna like float off of like culture but anyways i no you're right you're right absolutely and uh but it's weird yeah. then there's blue collar then there's then there's you know completely it, impoverished like the the worst ghettos you can imagine and it's all in this one you know region that for yeah. the most part gets billed politically as left-leaning or blue or well, you know yeah. when when really like you saw it with the whole trump thing and i don't want to get too political here i do want to stick with your question but clearly that's not how people felt around here is is they weren't blue state you know it was we had, we had Mitt Romney could like come in like a carpetbagger he came in from Utah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? exactly so there's so many like uh there's so many things that flipped back and forth throughout my life that caused me to get you know swept up into some movements and also to to question uh you know, why I got swept up and where I gave my consent, where I gave my, uh, you know, what's the word that I'm thinking of? Just, just where we sort of give consent as a group, you know, by sort of acceptance. You know, like, yeah. Kind of just by going along with whatever the trend is. And I think they tried to weaponize social media politically during my teenage years yeah. so that affected me in a way where i'm like fuck this the only thing i'm going to say on social media is f you and for a while like my instagram and my twitter and my facebook were just you know if you read into it you might think i was some kind of like lone nut 
case just because the way I wrote, like I would write things about conspiracies and I'd be like, fuck the world. And then, but I would never like interact with people on a friendly basis because that's not what I use social media for. I was responding to the world around me in a way that was like inverted from what I saw coming projecting at me through social media and through the mainstream media. So now doing this podcast is kind of like uh, a, a freeing thing because for a while I would talk about this conspiracy, whatnot, and people would be like, oh, I don't care about politics. And I'm like, this isn't political. You know, right. like this is about your life. This is about your freedom. This is about you know, your health, you know, our reality. Yeah. our reality. Yeah. So I've, I've always been really, you know, son of a bitch about a lot of stuff like that, you know, and trying to like fire people up and and then getting disappointed because it, people didn't respond the way I thought they would and, and then becoming kind of apathetic. And and it's only through this podcasting that I've I've realized, like, OK, not only am I not alone. There's thousands of people like me out there who think and see this and want the world to change for the better. And, you know, now I feel kind of uh, <laughs> at ease, so to speak, because I know that that I'm, I wasn't uh, alone. And I, I was just sort of, you know, sheltered in a way. From this community. But as soon as I started listening to podcasts, like uh, the first one I found, I mean, obviously Joe Rogan, like everybody heard about Joe Rogan and I started right. listening to that. I watched I, him right from the beginning and that yeah. rise was pretty cool. Like, you know, well, and there was, that was like around the time that, that I started listening to podcasts. It wasn't like just his show. It was uh, a show called stuff. They don't want you to know, which is like, it's like conspiracy, but it's also like corporate. So it's, it's like, <laughs> They give you enough. It's almost like if the History Channel did a conspiracy podcast. Right. Like they give you just enough. They don't go too far. They don't speculate. They don't name names all the time. So they're not exactly like Tinfoil Hat or like this show that we're on now. But it was a good foot in the door and gave me a kind of like uh, a basis of information that the books I was reading just couldn't because only one book, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't find like now I love this book. It's like you know, the encyclopedia of secret societies and conspiracies, you know, books like that where you can just get like a bunch of theories all in one place. I didn't find those until more recently. Like uh, my, my friend, Donald Jeffries, hidden history. That's like an encyclopedia for yeah. conspiratorial events. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's my point being is like, that's kind of what these podcasts served as because although the internet had all that stuff for a time, it was, it wasn't like easy to manage, you know, like I remember finding a lot of good stuff on this website called, um, excuse me, stumble upon. And what was great about Stumble Upon is it was a random shuffler. So it could take you through the internet randomly, URL by URL, and you, you kind of picked a category for it to generally browse. So I would pick the conspiracy category and it would just send me through conspiracy websites over and over. Yeah. But it was all very like 
fragmented and all over the place. And like, you'd have these camps of like one website and it'd be like, well, this guy thinks that every conspiracy has to do with the lizard people. So, you know, don't read into some of the information's good, but the part where he finishes and says, well, and it was the lizard people, maybe that's, you know, a a bridge too far. But my point is like, there was this like time between 2012 and like 2020 where conspiracy information was available and it was sort of getting it wasn't quite getting censored yet i mean 2016 it started to get really censored at least on youtube and whatnot but there was this like golden period where i was just like absorbing as much information as possible i was working as a delivery guy specifically so that i could listen to podcasts all day and get paid to do it Uh, Because when I was in college, I realized I was being scammed. I was paying money for an education that I wouldn't need. And I would be more successful if I just worked and taught myself. And I did that. And I, I think like that was a big, you know, to go back to your question, you asked me like, how did I get into conspiracies and all this stuff? Well, I was just always like an open minded person in school and the school made me into a conspiracy theorist because I'd ask teachers about 9-11 or things and I'd really be upset by their uh, pushback. You know? no, yeah, like, don't ask me that. Uh, yeah, well, there'd, be, there'd be teachers like that, but then there'd be teachers who would be appalled. And this is what concerned me because these were teachers who would, they wouldn't just negate your question, but they would suggest then that there was something wrong with you for for suggesting the the conspiracy theory whatever it is and this is when identity politics was not quite like on people's minds yet but it was in the minds of people like them like teachers you know yeah. and, and uh and i think that's what i started to pick up on too at a young age is like there are people who feign authority for academic you know, reputation, they, they, they feign this intellectuality. They're not intellectual. They're, they're the opposite. And the school really made me realize that they're just, uh, paper pushers. Yeah. They're just paper pushers. They're not writing their own original thoughts. They're just pulling this like flood of propaganda and just like passing it on to the, the each generation of students. And really they're just like, you know, a dam, like they don't, they don't serve any purpose other than to like let some information out and other information stay back. Right. Like I think that's all I started. And then there were the teachers that weren't like that. There was like the one or two or three teachers who were like really cool. And they were like, yeah, they were like, yeah, man, like you should look into that. Wink, wink, you know, kind of hinting at (laughs) they 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 knew that they couldn't go too far with it. And that was another thing as a young mind. It's like, oh, he's trying to protect his own ass. Why can't he tell us about this kind of stuff? What's he's going to lose his job. If he tells us the truth, he's a teacher, you know, like this is the kind of uh, hypocrisy I noticed at that age. So, you know, and I had a whole, you know, family of people who loved me. I wasn't like abused or anything, but for the most part, they'd had no patience for any of my thoughts on this kind of stuff. They would just be like, shut up. 
You're not alone. You're not we don't need you. Like, we don't need you from the shoulders up, Mark. Like, get your hand. You know, like, get your hands dirty. You know, like, get a job. You know, that kind of thing. Like, you know, that was that was my sad realization. It's like, oh, they don't need me from the shoulders up because I didn't. You know, I didn't have the privilege to become a doctor. I didn't have the privilege to become a lawyer. I had the the ability to do what my father and my grandfather did, which was work with my hands or, you know, maybe like my grandfather was a firefighter. That's not exactly working with your hands. That's sitting on your ass a lot of days, but those guys are heroes. But you know, it's not exactly like a blue collar job. It's more like a city working for the city. So either way um, that was my lot in life and, and conspiracy kind of, uh, has been my obsession and becoming a podcaster was like the only career option to like make this kind of thing, uh, my, you know, daily bread and butter. Otherwise I'd just be delivering packages and listening to your podcast and not being on the podcast. <laughs> that's not a bad thing either for people that are watching or listening. Like, uh, I was the same way. I was, I was delivering auto parts and listening to, uh, you know, certain, people uh i won't even mention names but you know certain people that were in the war for information we'll just put it that way yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> but Absolutely. anyway yeah I, but there's nothing wrong with that you know what i'm actually glad i'm glad you took the path you did because you took the path most people wouldn't and a lot of people are miserable let's just face it i am too man and you know it's it's weird i i've always been stubborn i've always been like someone to follow my instinct and and that has got me into situations that you know maybe other people would have avoided but on the point of conspiracies when i was in college not only did i have a professor in my anthropology course who taught us a lesson on conspiracy theory but i actually really? met yeah, it was a very, he, I, I wish I remembered his name. Shout out to him. Uh, yeah. He was such a great teacher. And uh, if I had more teachers like him, I probably wouldn't have dropped out. But um, yeah. he was he was a good teacher in anthropology. And, and he taught us about conspiracy theory. And he also left it very open-ended. So we could all come to the class the next lesson with our own conspiracy theory and try to like make a case for it right. to, the, to the class, which was so... I thought was so cool. Um, but anyways, at that same point in time, I was spending a lot of time between classes wandering around New Haven. And for folks who don't know about New Haven, New Haven is essentially, uh, Yale. I mean, there's a few, there's a few buildings like for banks and like, there's a few like, uh, you know, insurance companies and there's like, but everything else is New Haven yeah. is Yale. Yeah. You know, it's it's like the school and the restaurants for people who go to the school and people like and it's it's all stuff that's like high dining. Like it's not like there's fast food and then there's like five uh, cash signs on Google. Like you know what I mean? Right. Like it's all upper echelon dining places because it's that type of crowd that goes to Yale and whose parents come in and all that stuff. So there's a lot of like misplaced affluence there because the rest of the city is totally ramshackle. I mean, no offense to New Haven. It's a beautiful town, but it's it's definitely a place that has its uh, disparity. It's 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 got its urban side that's very, um, you know, 
it could be very dangerous in some ways. It can be very depressing in other ways because you see people who are living literally on the fringes of society, right on the doorstep of one of the wealthiest, most notable colleges in the world, Yale University. I mean, it's one of the name colleges that anyone can recognize, right? I mean, it's not like Warren Bones, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll get to that. (laughs) I met this guy on... uh, on one of my afternoons, just kind of smoking a joint in between classes, reading a book, and and he happened to be a Native American from Arizona, and he told me he liked my T-shirt. I had a T-shirt with Sitting Bull on it, and we started talking, and we became buddies, and I found out that he was homeless, and he was kind of living around the green and kind of sleeping like somewhere to kind of for the time being until he got a job and kind of could settle in. Cause he had just moved into new Haven and he wanted to live here. And he, I said, you know, why would you, why would you move here and become homeless? Like he didn't seem like a homeless guy, you know, like I, I was just very like, why would you do that? You know, like why I did would that you- with Hollywood? So I could kind of identify. Like, why would you go to the most expensive place if you're already homeless? You know what I mean? And <laughs> think you're gonna thrive, but I don't know. We all do our own thing for different reasons. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, oh, I, can okay. I didn't know you did that in Hollywood. <laughs> I drove my car like I did it twice. I did it with my own car until I basically destroyed it, and then I did it again um, last year. Not even last year. Uh, a couple months ago. I was doing the door dashing or the Uber eating or whatever with a rent a car. And all it was doing was paying for itself every day, just the car rental. But I was determined for different goals and things. But this, this gentleman that you're talking about, sometimes I don't know what his situation is. And I cut you off and I apologize. Um, Right. Please, please go on. (laughs) Well, yeah. And he, I was just, you know, straight into the world at, at that age, I hadn't much life experience. So it was kind of confusing to me at a young age as to why someone would like leave where they're from to be homeless somewhere else, you know, no, regardless of the place. I understand why people go homeless in Hollywood. It's pretty cool over there. I hear, but, uh, but anyways, he was, he was like here on a spiritual mission. And that's what he began to explain to me is that, you know, listen, I just got out of prison. You know, I wasn't exactly the best dude in my life. And he said, I, I basically, I didn't want to go back to my family and my tribe because I owed them, you know, something I had to, I had to, I had to make better of myself before I could go back to them. Right. That, that was his thing. And I never found out why he went to prison. It never seemed like anything like violent or dangerous. Cause he was always just a stand up guy with me. And, right. uh, and yeah, so that was his story. And he said, basically, when he was in prison, he learned about this Geronimo story yes. and, and decided that when he got out of prison, he would go to New Haven and pray for Geronimo. And I don't know if he even intended on living in New Haven until he got here and said, you know, something's keeping me here. And he still lives here. And this is almost 10 years later. Him and I are friends. I've seen him uh Last year, I hung out with him a couple times, but uh, but yeah, he was on a spiritual mission for Geronimo, his ancestor who had been, you know, wrongfully disinterred from his grave. 
His skull and femur bones were, you know, robbed, grave robbed by Prescott Bush. Yep. And uh, I was hoping you were going to bring that up. Yeah. And brought to the tomb. And, you know, a lot of people discount this as rumor and whatnot, but I don't think Amos would have lied to me. and, And I think he, he didn't just find that information out through the rumor mill. Uh, you know, this is information that not only do the Native Americans take uh, very seriously, but they wouldn't lie about something like that, you know. And, and there's even very serious laws now uh, concerning the repatriation of a lot of these stolen grave items and, and you know, yeah. body parts, <laughs> unfortunately so anyways amos kind of filled me in on a lot of stuff not just the geronimo story but he taught me about you know different uses of plants and uh you know different philosophical concepts that i had read about in books but i you know didn't have my own like mentor to teach me and it was really synchronistic and and something that i'm ever grateful for and i do believe it was a kind of meant to be kind of thing. And like I said, I'm still friends with Amos and, and he's doing a lot better now. He has a, a house. He's not homeless anymore, but oh, uh, yeah, job too. But um, when it comes to the impact that that made on me, it really reaffirmed my suspicion that I didn't need school and I could learn from the real world. Cause here is this, teacher that comes into my life and teaches me in a freaking downtown green like in behind a church like on the, in this like public park area in the center of new haven uh, little did i know uh, there was a bunch of bodies buried under that exact same spot in the park that was the old burying ground in new haven and uh amos told me about that you know and w- we talked a lot about like certain esoteric things that were going on with Yale and it wasn't until well geez like nine or ten years later around this time last year that I began really looking into Yale New Haven and Skull and Bones because I don't think it's just Skull and Bones where the weirdness starts I think New Haven the colony itself has always had a a sort of uh, influence and it's also always been kind of affluent so I wonder and I wondered where this all started. So I went and started researching. And, and for the past year, I've been looking into, you know, New Haven and trying to figure out these questions that I've been asking about the past and, you know, what's really going on with these skull and bones uh, grave robbers, why they rob graves and possibly what uh, what this all comes from, you know, where, where they're from and, and all these questions like that. But yeah amos is more than trophy hunters too right it's yeah oh yeah i mean trophy hunting would be one thing if they were like murderers who killed these people and then like caught their their bones i mean that yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they were involved in the deaths of some of the people whose skulls they have but uh yeah no i don't think it's quite that i think it's more of uh like a spiritual dominance in a way. Like if you have the the ancestors of all these people who were your enemies, you know, in your basement and you kind of just like belittle them in that way as, as a tool for your own use. It's like really uh, 
tragic and and has an energetic effect even if people aren't aware of it you know like geronimo is one story because many people know that geronimo's there and uh, but there are other people that i've learned about like oliver cromwell who was a famous you know uh protestant in england who created the parliament right he basically dethroned the king and took over england's civil war they had there and he basically made a, a government out of the monarchy that still exists to this day they still have power in the parliament uh but when cromwell was taken uh i think he was executed uh, the royalty you know the monarchy they ended up taking back the throne eventually and they killed him and put his head on a, a pike and i just recently learned that the skull and bonesman collected that pike and skull and brought it back to new haven so oliver cromwell's skull potentially is in new haven as well and he's someone who you don't hear i mean normally when you hear about the skull and bones thing pancho via martin van buren uh and martin van Buren's the only president that's not related to all the other presidents which is interesting He's yeah. the only Dutch president, and he comes from a Dutch, a former Dutch colony. Um, so that could be part of it. The Dutch and the English always had a, a rivalry. But um, yeah, it's just very odd, the, the skulls that they have, who they've collected. There's even like people who are relatively unknown, like this man named the Apache Kid. I found a newspaper article about these Chicago businessmen who were out on a hunting party in the 1880s and they were hunting for like buffalo or whatever and they found this outlaw the apache kid and they started to track him and follow him they snuck up on him in his camp at sunrise and they shot him they threw a blanket over his body they came back for him a few months later and they took his skull and his femur bones and they sent it to skull and bones at yale university and the way the newspaper article described it it almost sounded like the chicago businessmen were under the impression that yale had a department where it collected skull and bones you know like as if the chicago businessmen were like yeah let's send this to be categorized over at the skull and bones you know, you know like like some like i like that in my mind when i read it that's what i thought but then it also could be maybe that's the impression they wanted to give the readers is like that the, the skull wasn't going to some weird cult it was going to like an archaeological department of some kind because it reads that way in the newspaper like skull and bones yale university as if like that's what you do yeah yeah like who else collects that kind of thing but uh yeah it was just so odd to see that you know in plain english in the newspaper no you know subtext at all they're just like yeah then they sent it to skull and bones so they even have like people who aren't affiliated with them sending them um, bodies which is weird and you know i i wonder there's an occult explanation to it and this i'm not certain of but i think it has something to do with saint john the baptist and the way the templars used his skull for uh divination and possibly some weird rituals uh there's also been rumors that 
when you drink certain fluids out of a skull, it brings a certain property into that fluid because of the calcium and other things that are inside of the human skull that may be brought out of the bone uh, with wine or other beverages that have an acidic quality or a or um, a quality that might draw that from the bone. I don't. I'm not a chemist, so I wouldn't be certain. Right how that would work, but there's that theory that there's something going on where you can actually drink the thoughts or the DNA of a human being through their skull by using their skull as a, as a, as a cup of some kind, which is very disturbing. Yeah. Almost Jeffrey Dahmer-ish. Uh, exactly yeah. yeah. It sheds, well, it sheds light too on, on why these very gruesome, types of crimes may take place in america if a group like this proceed because serial killers are a relatively recent phenomena we don't have many serial killers uh, before the civil war uh and and before the, the, late, the late great dave mcgowan who uh, i really look up to his research he wrote program to kill a book a book where he pretty much lays out the idea that um the, so the serial killer phenomenon was an engineered thing to right. spread fear and to cover up certain deaths as being random, like a possible mm. political hits and things. Really fascinating stuff because if you notice, the serial killer thing was replaced with the spree shooter and school shooter phenomenon. So it's almost like an extension, but it, it kind of just replaced it with like that, you know, that assassin or whatever uh, brainwash type thing. Well, um, it, it makes you it makes you wonder about, you know, the hidden hand behind all of this because clearly there are good people in law enforcement i'm not someone who believes that everyone in law enforcement is like uh you know co-opted to to work yeah. the hidden hand. i think there's a lot of really good people in law enforcement some of them probably listen to stuff like this and they probably have to take it with a grain of salt just because there's not a lot they can maybe do about it in the long run they're, they're, they don't have the most They'd be a target themselves if they did right and these men are so compartmentalized too in these departments. They don't have a lot of like leeway the way you think with like the movies were given, where you know Jack Burton or whoever can freaking go and Jack just Burton, <laughs> big trouble, little China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you know just knock down a door. I didn't mean to say Jack Burton, but no, that, that was great though. Him. Uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. Like the do, James yeah. Bonds, James this Bond. fantasy of like you know this you know guy who's like a crusader and nothing can stop him and to. Today. Yeah. And it's just not that's just not how the world works, unfortunately. Um, but that doesn't mean that that th those men are complicit because they're unable to, to do something about it. Now, that being said, yeah, it does seem like the serial killer thing, you know, uh, is a lot easier to make sense of in a very gruesome and sick kind of like there are there's evidence that goes along with that whereas spree shooting seems to be more psychotic more random I mean, not that you can like even qualify two things like that i think they're both engineered personally just based on but, research but yeah i wonder if like the reason they shifted i guess why i'm saying this is the reason they shifted to spree shooters maybe there's something about serial killers that like didn't work anymore and now they have to shift to like 
the agenda because they, they had the uh, celebrity serial killers for the longest time. You know, mm -hmm. your, Bund your Bundys, your, your Dahmers. I don't want to say Manson because he always gets thrown in there. He didn't actually kill anybody, uh, or at least he wasn't tried for killing anybody. He was brainwashing, and supposedly mm -hmm. or whatever, you know. But well, what I wanted to mention though, when you brought up the thing about the skull and bringing the calcium out, and then we brought, you know, we came to Dahmer. Dahmer, Bundy, uh, John Wayne Gacy, and, and Dave McGowan pointed a, a lot of this stuff out, too. They all seem to have, like, uh, cults around them. They right. Or Son of Sam. They don't seem to be just a lone wolf or lone nut or whatever. They seem to have other participants that are shadowy and just kind of disappear after. You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's That seems to be what a lot of people have been saying. Uh, I'm a big fan of... Uh, a gentleman named Recluse, Stephen Snyder. He does a lot of great research on his podcast, The Farm. You ought to go on his show. I think you guys would have a great conversation. I'll, I, just, I just had George from Cav Death. I don't know if you oh, ever yeah. heard. He's a good friend of his. Just yeah. had him on. Yeah, and he was telling me about The Farm. And Programmed to Kill. That was the yeah. other one. I had yeah, heard of them. You ought to you ought to go on that show. I'll put you in touch with Stephen. But yeah, they, they he's been covering a lot of this stuff, and that seems to be... Uh, something that he's looked into and, and uncovered some evidence to support what you just said about cults being around, not just those three, but other serial killers as well. And and you have to wonder, like in the case of Sirhan Sirhan, uh, where he seems to have some kind of weird cult that brainwashed him, maybe that's going into the whole um, spree shooter thing as well, like with this uh, with this car killer guy in wisconsin who, yeah. who ran over all those people like that that guy seemed possessed i've heard researchers say uh i haven't looked into it personally but it's definitely it's a component of all of this that we can't discount and to draw it all back to skull and bones yeah. like why do we need to necessarily draw a connection between this ivy league secret society and what we're talking about just then Maybe we don't. I, I think that that they're tangentially a part of the same web. You know, I don't know that necessarily Skull and Bones has any direct relationship with those crimes, but it could be. It could just be, you know, within this uh, facade and waiting to be <laughs> uh, unraveled. But I, I think when it comes to Skull and Bones, what's more important to look at is their direct implications on a different side of the mk ultra spectrum which is drugs right because drugs are a big part of how people sort of exist in this underground world it's a big part of the black market economy and it's also a big part of how people are co-opted psychologically you know whether they're users or addicts or or maybe they're victims of some sort of drugging uh yeah and trafficking as well right it fits right into that so you know it all kind of stems from like that underground network that realm that can only exist because they're elite groups like yale university who have moneyed interest in the opium trade although that might not be explicit like if you looked at yale's you know accounting you wouldn't yeah. see that but technically the russell trust is a part of this you know university in, in historically and uh and they're very much complicit in that kind of thing uh so 
I think the connections are there. And I wonder, after doing this research, if Skull and Bones is some sort of splinter group of another interest, because Yale seems very British. Like, Yale seems like a British interest in America. Like, maybe they were patriotic during the revolution, but they seem to have, like, kind of always been a little bit more loyal to England than maybe the people that lived in New Haven, Uh, you know? And, And I think that overall has been detrimental because it's led us to, into World War One, World War Two, and Skull and Bones is directly connected in all of that. I mean, they financed the Germans, uh, Hitler. They're sending, the yeah, the well, yeah. Don't know that. So all of this is is connected in a way. And have you ever found a connection? If uh, just now that it popped into my head, have you ever found a connection between Skull and Bones with uh, New Haven and Yale? And the Bohemian Grove Club in California, because I yeah. know besides the, uh, the the people actually being a part of both, like besides that, have you found like a background? Like you just said, it was more British based. Uh, was the, the Skull and Bones and Yale stuff? Bohemian Grove does that have some of the the same roots? Absolutely. Actually, somebody just emailed me. I want to pull up this email. I'll give them some credit. Um, I do another podcast called Esoteric America, and a gentleman named Kyle reached out to me, and he wants to join us on the show, Esoteric America, which is the point of the show. We like to invite anyone on the show, wherever they live in America, to do like a little episode about you know, what weird stuff they found in there. Oh, you would really like uh, where I'm actually residing right now is this place called the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, we yeah. got to have you on to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've learned Lizzie a lot. Borden, Lizzie Borden's down the street in Fall River, too. You know? oh. oh, well, you're not too far from me. We ought to do like a, we ought to get together for lunch or something sometime. But that would be awesome, man. Yeah. While I have this email open, um, Kyle, shout out to Kyle, messaged me and he said that the original, the alleged original Bohemian Grove um, was founded at a monastery in Lloyd Harbor, an extremely affluent hamlet in the greater town of Huntington, New York. Now, Huntington, Samuel, uh, I'm sorry, William Huntington Russell was one of the founders of Skull and Bones. And he, that name, Huntington, that's not his middle name. That's his, you know, a lot of these wealthy people have two last names because they keep you know, they keep their mothers. Because they names. can afford it. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. exactly. Like, we, we don't do that. I don't call myself, you know, by my mother's maiden name and my right. father's last name. But wealthy people seem to like to do that. And, uh, yeah, Huntington, that's a, that's a family that's been connected to Skull and Bones since the founding, uh, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the town of Huntington and uh, there's also another town of Huntington, Connecticut. I wouldn't be surprised if both of those were were founded by that family because right, you know right. this is this is in that era when people were still colonizing. You know, right, like right. we tend to think of like things statically, and you know when New Haven became a colony in 1630 something, 1620 something, you know, very early in the 1600s, 
everything west of the Hudson River was wild, like the completely wild, you know. And so, you know, people don't really think of it in terms of that. But it wasn't until like, you know, the 1850s that we even had, you know, between the Atlantic and the Mississippi somewhat colonized. Even then it wasn't like there's still tons of forests and open land. So a lot of these families that were at the get go of Skull and Bones ended up founding places in the West Coast, founding places like John Hopkins University, the University of California. I mean, a lot of the schools that are prominent across the West were founded by people who graduated from Yale, Harvard, or one of the other Ivy League schools. And, and even with the, the case of John Hopkins in the University of California, Skull and Bones men founded those colleges. So yeah, it seems like they've spread and obviously you see San Stanford is like super deep. I mean they might as well call themselves like the University of the CIA deep deep state research. Like, you know, like they're doing all of that stuff there. And that was skull and bones from the get-go. And Yale and and was basically created by Harvard. Harvard does all this stuff through MIT. So it all it all connects. Like this is one big network of of similar interests going by different names and you know obviously there's a bunch of money behind it and different uh different sort of people have a financial sway here or there but yeah i think uh i think ultimately it's an anti-human agenda that we're seeing unfold and you have to ask yourself well why is that and i've tried to to figure this out. And the best explanation I can come up with is it has something to do with this religion that many of these elites possibly have a lot of faith in this idea that they are God's chosen people. And that's by doing some sort of uh, ordained evil, some sort of, uh, you know, evil that God sanctions, they'll then be calling forth the second coming of Christ and bringing everybody to this, you know, biblical end times where the chosen are sent to heaven and the rest, you know, whatever happens to them, who knows? And I think this maybe wasn't, uh, maybe this hasn't been the, the imperative for the past, you know, 60 years. Maybe they've grown out of this, but I think World War One, World War Two, and the bombing at the trinity site the the first nuclear explosion i think that's a culmination of this mindset of uh beckoning the armageddon that's why i call my research into this uh, this Substack article uh armageddon or new heaven because it's like new haven new heaven and they're beckoning this armageddon they, they seem to to believe in it they seem to worship the the destruction of humanity because it's it's like it fits they're almost in. invited. Right. And that's, I think that has to do with a lot of what we're seeing in the conspiracy world. And that's not to like say to Christians, like stop believing in Christianity or stop right. believing in the Bible. I think they've just sort of warped the Bible in a way that serves their political needs. And this, this political need has sort of warped their spiritual perceptions past the point of any return and that's why we all seem to be on this crash course towards destruction because they worship our own self-destruction that's why the native americans called 
it Watiko. Watiko means cannibal. Watiko is not some kind of, uh, you know, alien invader like the movie by John Carpenter, The Thing, where people start, you know, becoming, you know, uh, killing each other because something wants to destroy them. No, Wetiko is when human beings start killing each other because we can't see that we're all related. We start taking our own needs over other people. And that always leads to uh, detrimental things. You know, it's, it's very simple actually. And, and a lot of people can't wrap their head around that because of how complicated it's all become. But it is just that simple is that we have, you know, people who are so selfish to the point of evil that and and almost to the point of ignorance where they don't even recognize how evil they might even think that they're doing, they're doing something. Good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, well, what is it? Every time with a villain, the villain never thinks that they're the villain. Right. <laughs> right. But, right. You know, there's something to that, I think. Right. I think that that's kind of again I don't I don't want to like poo poo Christianity cuz you know I was raised Catholic and I kind of gravitated away from that started smoking weed and you know got into mysticism as we described earlier and right. some Christians might hear that and be like oh my god mysticism that's the occult he's evil that's the devil and it's like no no well, no, no, no kind of why I wanted you to try to explain it because I know yeah. I know a lot of people who may actually feel that way and mm. I, I don't want them to think that I'm like sitting here you know advocating for like satanism or or there's oh. actually even satanism there's different factions like some of them are just about mocking uh religion the other ones are about hedonism then you got people that actually think there is a beast named like a devil that is gonna you know there's different things so it, it it's hard to really you know i like to keep an open mind about everything and not mm. judge people but i love jesus I don't think you have to love, you know, you have to love Jesus and love his followers. You know, <laughs> I think, exactly. I think sometimes people who follow Jesus go astray. You know, there's a sign I heard about, uh, I forget which podcast I was listening to, but somebody quoted this. They said, uh, there's a billboard in Hollywood that says, uh, you know, don't, uh, I follow Jesus or uh, it said, Jesus, save me from your followers. That's what it said. Yeah. Uh, but, and I think there's like some ironic truth to that when you look at like these evangelicals and, but there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good um, message. There's a lot of good Catholics and Christians too. Yeah. It's like the, the police yeah. thing there, or, you know, there's, a, there's bad apples in every group, you know? Well, and I, I do want to say like Christian mysticism is a reality. They are mystics among Christianity. And uh, I did not know that. Yeah. And I, I think that, that the occult has been um, politically bastardized and real cults. Sure, they may exist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all cults are occult. Right. Uh, or, well, let's just for everyone, anyone out there who doesn't know, let's just flat out define the word occult. It yeah. just means hidden, right? Hidden information or just hidden? It's yeah, hidden we can even get like the real definition because I would just yeah <laughs> what you're saying. But technically, uh, according to this dictionary, it so says... When people hear a cult, they think maybe evil, and that's not mm -hmm. the case. No, no, it just means of 
or relating to or dealing with supernatural or magical influences, agencies, or occurrences. And by the way, folks, the Bible describes plenty of magical influences or occurrences and agencies. I mean, the Bible's full of that. So the Bible's a cult, depending water, on your interpretation. Water, yeah. Yeah, all, all the miracles. I mean, and there's been plenty of Christian miracles that have taken place after the Bible that don't get talked about because of the political uh, sensationalism uh, and the dogmatism. But uh yeah. So, and also another definition is available only to the initiate, uh, secret or mysterious, right? Yeah, so I know it's like hidden or yeah, like yeah, hidden, hidden as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think people have been uh, weaponized against the occult because it takes them away from these dogmatic restraints. Yes. Now that being said, Christianity within it has sure dogmatic restraints, but it also has that path to freedom, right? So I'm not saying like, oh, you need to follow the occult to get freedom. Like, I don't worry. worry, little, you know, Christians, don't let me break your eggshells over here. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think, I think it, it, it's, I have a lot of respect for people who are Christian. I don't mean to joke me like too. that, but I do, yeah, I yeah. do think that people, it's about time that people like stop overcoming or being overcome with fear and and realize that god didn't want us to be little babies who only you know uh did what he told us like he wanted us to be humans who like figured things out for ourselves and like you know give us meat not milk you know that's kind of my uh approach to it and i think uh, the occult it just takes a little more chewing like you just got to kind of chew through it and you kind of realize with a lot of this stuff it's just it's all the same thing over and over again like there are secrets there are mysteries but a lot of the occult is just the same thing over and over again from different people who want to feel important so when you can take the ego out of it and like stop looking at the 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 guru for who they are and start seeing the truth that they're trying to speak like i think that's kind of a dynamic that helps me not get like pulled into the occult you know and that comes from people who are used to like religion from church because you have an authority you have an authority telling you this is what the bible means or this is what the torah means or this is what the quran means you know and or what you know i don't even know what a buddhist priest would say but he would probably say something like that too right so we have this impulse towards authority and then with the occult and the new age who are our authorities? They're not authorities. They're a bunch of freaking weirdos half the time who who end up starting sex cults and doing crazy weird stuff. So what I've deduced from that is don't follow anyone. A think cult. for yourself. Yeah, think for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So that and and that being said, like Christ, if he really is the epitome of uh, what it means to be a human being, like, well, then that's a, a great person to follow. You know, yeah. someone who who obviously didn't succumb to the lower uh, realms, and and I think that's a lesson that we have to be able to learn from people who who make those mistakes, rather than just condemning them uh, for the path they've taken. Learn from their mistake and don't make it yourself. Well, like you were just saying, like uh, it's a lot of this is mostly the same thing, right? I could never understand when I found out the story of Horus. Mm. And then you look at the story of Jesus. I'm pretty sure 
I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's identical. Mm. But if you point that out to certain people, it's like you just, you know, you're blasphemous or you're going to hell. Or just a lot of judgment. Mm. And not all religious people are judgmental, or at least they shouldn't be, I don't think, you know. Open-minded, you know. Um well, you know, we, we have this political boundary of like, well, he's from this country and that country's different because of this. And that's a whole nother world. And yeah, but we all are human beings and we all have the same reality. So where right. there's always going to be a father, God and a mother, God and a son, God and a daughter, God and, and a grandfather, God and a grandmother, <laughs> God, you know, they just go by different names throughout each culture. And, and you know, it gets complicated when you start like pulling in like the historicity of things. And, but I think when we, when we look at things from that archetypical perspective, it's like, okay, obviously Saturn isn't someone we want to learn from. We don't want to be eating our children. But when we see that kind of thing going on in the world, it's like, huh, maybe there are Saturnian like death cults out there because they wrote about this God who ate his children. And now there seems to be this weird group of people who like, hurting children like maybe there's a connection there right like i think that's a part of why this is so important well that's a phrase even right eat your young (laughs) like but it's why this stuff has been obscured from us because they don't want us to have the context to be able to figure stuff like that out if there really is that evil going on like wouldn't it want to hide itself it would want to you know conceal its its tracks Right. So they have to this obscure history to a certain extent. So I try to keep like a jujitsu uh, kung fu stance, you know, like I don't know. You know, Sam, Sam says this. I, I can't, you know, claim ownership of this, but Sam said this, like, you got to take these conspiracies in karate stance. Like, you don't you don't want to let any one position sway you. Uh, and I think the occult yeah. is is more appropriate for that, because it's like with the occult. Like I said, you got a lot of people who want to teach you something only for their own selfish reasons. They may have truth that they're offering, but at the end of the day, they want to be some kind of guru for some reason. And that's the real reason why they're talking about this, this information. They can't get away with it unless they use some truthful information. Uh, but as soon as they start saying, oh, well, we got to swap wives, I think that's when, that's when you start to question, like, hmm, yeah, check, please. question. Check, please. <laughs> got to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Mark, this has been, this has been great. And I, I really do hope that you uh you come back on because yeah uh, we should we should have another chat and go you know into the more specifics about like what's going on esoterically and metaphysically with new haven because you know uh this is a a lot there yeah (laughs) for that you know i love that yeah because i'm not just about one conspiracy or or uh, one topic here or there like i i like to open it up and it's very refreshing talking to people like yourself and um i think more people who should hear you too you know what i mean not that they not that you don't have that came out wrong i'm an idiot no i I think more people that might not be aware of you should hear you thank you yeah no don't feel bad about saying that i agree yeah more chris farley right now (laughs) 
you know? right, well, I'm David Spade. You're Chris Farley. Let's have lunch, brother. <laughs> Tommy Boy too. Well, that was Black Sheep, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I guess. Uh, all yeah, right, I really appreciate this. Hives. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And we're in the same vicinity. Uh, you, you got uh, Skull and Bones. I have uh, Bridgewater Triangle and Salem mm. and. Yeah, Lizzie Borden. A lot of dark stuff in our our corner of the country. Yeah, well, Actually, that's a weird thing. It's like it's it seems that way, but anywhere you look, you find that kind of stuff. It's just like way. It's like around the corner. You just yeah, it's weird. But the Earth uh, itself. <laughs> yeah, we, we ought to have you on my show, Esoteric America. Uh, oh, I'd be honored. For your listeners, you were just on my show. My family thinks I'm crazy. So if folks want to hear uh, me asking Chris a questions that that episode came out two weeks ago. So please go check that out. And uh, dude, I'd love to come back anytime. Thank you for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. All right, folks. This is Mark from my family thinks I'm crazy. Is there any other places that people can reach out to you or uh, where your blog is, the website, mm. uh, everything? Yeah, Substack, my family thinks I'm crazy dot substack dot com and then everything else is at my family thinks I'm crazy dot com from the podcast to the Patreon, the Rockfin, all the places that you can uh, go to absorb the show and the content. And uh, Nick Hinton told me last night that I have the number one synchromistic podcast in his opinion. So coming from him, that was pretty cool for people who know who he is. They might may uh, maybe want to check my show out if they didn't know it existed. I've done some episodes with him. Uh, I'm going to be doing a new episode with him today. Actually, he's going to, we're going to schedule uh, a show for this afternoon, but uh, yeah, Chris, I'd love to have you back on anytime, man. Uh, and I'd love to join you here. Uh, Likewise, this is great. Thank right. you. I appreciate it. Everyone. I hope, I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I hope you learned something. Please listen and watch this man. He knows what he's talking about, and it's refreshing. Good night, everybody. How dare you!